0: Why renter's insurance? Because burglar. State Farm renter's insurance covers stuff for as little as 15 bucks a month, like when a burglar makes off with your new laptop. Find an agent or get a quote at statefarm.com. Hello, fellow true crime fans. My name is Joel Micah Harris. I host the podcast This Week in True Crime History which takes a look at the horrific real events of years past on the week of their anniversary. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Until then, stay safe.
1: My name is Ali and this is Insight. Here with me today is the lovely Charlie. How are you?
0: I'm good. Still very, very, very pregnant.
1: Not much longer though.
0: Here's hoping.
1: (laughs) There's been a lot of sickness in my house the last couple of weeks, which has made getting these episodes ready to record a bit of a challenge. But I'm here and ready to go and talk about somewhat of a pet case of mine, and that's the disappearance of Leah Roberts. This is actually a cold case. Leah disappeared back in 2000, and she got actually a decent amount of press coverage back when she first went missing. Her disappeared episode actually is one of the best I've seen. However, as with any long-term missing persons cases, that constant stream of press coverage, it always fades over time. And sadly, as with the cases of some other ones we've covered in the last year or so, like the Sumter County Doe's and the Fort Worth Three, some of the news articles have dropped off the internet, so there isn't a whole lot available. That being said, it is a compelling and sad case. Leah has now been missing for 17 and a half years, and no one knows any more than what we did know when she first went missing. And Lisa's appearance was a listener suggestion from quite a few people actually, but the first ones to request it was Jenny and Roseanne, so thank you for suggesting this case. Aaliyah Toby Roberts was born July 23rd, 1976, and she was the youngest of three children. She had an older brother, Heath, and an older sister, Cara. She went by the name Leah, that's the name that is used in all the news articles and websites, so that's the name we'll use today. When Leah was just 17 years old and a senior in high school, her father was diagnosed with a life threatening respiratory disease. The following year, Leah graduates high school and enrolls into North Carolina State University, where she studies Spanish and anthropology. Leah had a love of travel, and this double degree kind of is what embodies of everything she was passionate about. And then two years later, when Leah was 20, her mother dies suddenly from heart disease. It turns out that she was sick for a while, but kind of kept it from the kids because she was concerned about Leah's dad's health. Leah takes a semester off school to deal with the loss, but then returns. However, according to her friends, her heart just wasn't in it.
0: But this wouldn't be the only life-defining event in Leah's life. In late 1998, Leah was driving her car when a transfer truck turned in front of her, causing her to run head-on into it. This accident could have very well killed her, and after seeing photos from the accident, I think she's pretty lucky to have survived. All of her injuries were survivable. The two most major injuries she had were a punctured lung and a shattered femur. She required surgery to place a metal rod in her leg to repair the damage to her femur. But she saw this as her second chance to live life to the fullest. She went to Spain to study for a semester, and then when she returned, she signed up to also go to Costa Rica on a field study program. Three weeks before she was scheduled to leave for Costa Rica in early 1999, Leah's father died of his lengthy illness. After debating what to do for a little while, she decided to go ahead with her plans to do the field work in Costa Rica. But while in Costa Rica, Leah began to see things differently. She began to see a less conventional path for her own life. This trip profoundly affected her and inspired what was to come.
1: And when she returns, there just seems to be different priorities for Leah, she starts learning guitar and she takes up photography. And then one semester short of graduating, she drops out of university. She tells people there is more to life and she doesn't like the restrictions of school. So as you can see, she had a pretty hard shaken life in losing both of her parents very quickly and with her being still quite young. And then we have a horrible car accident where she could have easily died herself. Having to get a metal rod put into her leg to essentially hold her leg together. It's a pretty rough patch and I wish that was the end of it. And we had a happily ever after here, but unfortunately there is more to come in this story around this time after her trip to Costa Rica, Leah's close friends start noticing small changes in her personality and they start getting worried. She would go out by herself and meet people. And she'd do this a couple of times a week. From what I can tell, this wasn't a sexual thing, but just meeting up with people she would meet from online and she'd share her life experiences. But either way, no judgment, there's nothing wrong with anything she may or may not have been doing. But she was doing this without telling anyone her plans or where she was going or who she was going to meet. And then she wouldn't be contactable until days later, all of which would scare her friends understandably. Her days would be spent at a local coffee shop that she used to hang out called Kappa Joe and she would write in her journal or on her computer. She had a passion for writing and it was her way to express her feelings and think through problems and things that were bothering her.
0: This brings us to March 2000. Leah's 23 years old. She's living in Durham, North Carolina and sharing a place with her good friend, Nicole. Leah was always very close to her sister Kara, who is just two years older than her. And I've also gotten the impression that Kara took on a maternal role in Leah's life, which you could see naturally happening with a big sister after they had lost their mother. She was seeing Leah make some odd choices like dropping out of school when she was so close to having finished. So all that fed into what I perceive as a more maternal role. On Thursday, March 9th, Kara made one of her fairly routine phone calls to her sister. They chatted for a bit, talked a little bit about what Leah's thoughts were for the future, where she was going to go from there. Even looking back with hindsight later on, Kara didn't find anything out of the ordinary about their phone call. After talking to her sister, Leah talked to Nicole, her roommate, She confirmed a babysitting job that they were going to do together the next day. But then the following day, Friday, March 10th, Leah never showed up. Nicole assumed Leah had forgotten it. Maybe something else had come up at the last minute. That evening, when Nicole returned home, Leah and her car weren't there. Again, not exactly alarming. It wasn't out of the ordinary for them as roommates to miss each other in passing and not see each other for a day or two. Leah didn't work, but she came and went frequently. And Nicole would often work early or work late. Then Saturday comes and goes with no word from Leah. But Nicole did get a few phone calls from people who had plans with Leah, saying that Leah hadn't shown up for them. Now Nicole is starting to feel a little uneasy. Leah might disappear, they might not talk for a few days, but she wouldn't bail on all of her plans. By Saturday morning... The vague, I wonder where Leah is, turned into the significantly more worried, where the heck is Leah? Nicole started with calling Kara to see if she had heard from her or, you know, maybe saw her over the weekend. Kara hadn't, so they both started calling everyone they could think of who Leah might have possibly talked to that weekend or spent time with and no one else had seen her or heard from her. And we do have to take a quick break before we go any further for a word from our sponsor. If you're listening to Insight right now, you probably love crime podcasts, just like me. And let me tell you about new podcasts that I love that I've just started called Deliberations. I know we talk in our Facebook group a lot about some controversial jury decisions. And sometimes we think, what was the jury thinking? Any true crime enthusiast out there who's felt this sense of injustice when they hear a verdict that they feel is unfair or doesn't make sense with what they heard from the trial, you have to wonder what happened inside that jury room. In each season of Deliberations, a controversial murder trial is scripted and then recorded. Then, they play it for a jury of improvisers who react, debate, and argue their opposing interpretations of the evidence. Season one will explore the way a defendant's alternative sexual lifestyle Inflamed the jurors' biases and influenced their own decisions about her character. And it makes you wonder, is our jury system flawed? The goal of this podcast is to take you, the listener, into that deliberation room. Visit iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast directory and search for deliberations. Again, that's deliberations.
1: Now, I've also read reports that Leah's kitten B was also missing. The kitten wasn't mentioned on the Disappeared episode, but she is on Leah's Charlie Project profile and in a few other different articles, as well as the family-run website. Now, this website is no longer active, but you can access it in the Wayback Machine. I find it strange Bee wasn't a part of the Disappeared episode because, as we will get to in theories, it does change a lot when you think there is a little kitten in the picture. On Monday, Kara arrives and starts looking through Leah's personal belongings because at this stage, look, they have no idea where she was or where to start looking. And in Leah's room, some clothes were gone, there were a few things that she wouldn't leave without, and they were gone. It was pretty obvious that Leah had left on her own accord. Regardless, Nicole and Kara report Leah missing because mainly she was going through a rough time emotionally and they wanted to help find her and just make sure she's okay. But the police really can't help much either because without some idea of her plans, where do you start looking? It's been, what, four days at this point? She could literally be anywhere in the world at that time frame. So Kara goes back to look through Leah's room again because it is possible she missed something.
0: And she did miss something. This second search, Kara found a folded note addressed to Nicole. On the front was a smile that was the same as the Cheshire cat, you know, from Alice in Wonderland. That itself wasn't strange. Leah loved the story. On the Disappeared episode, you'll see a photo of Leah dressed as Alice. But also in this episode, Kara said she thought there was a hidden meaning behind the drawing. Because in the story, the cat appears and disappears and reappears. So perhaps Leah was saying... I'm disappearing, but I'll be back. I'll reappear. The Cheshire Cat was also mischievous, so it could be as simple as Leah saying she was doing something out of the norm, something quote-unquote they say you shouldn't do, like hop in your car and take off without notice. I mean, to be honest, I'm not sure there was a deeper meaning behind a quick sketch, but even if there was, I don't think it's a clue. At the time, before they had the information we have now, maybe it was a You know, maybe she was saying, I'm being mischievous, you know, I'm going to come back, but I don't think that necessarily means a whole lot now. Inside the note was about $500 in cash, and the note said that the money was to cover bills and rent while she was gone. It was about what she would have owed for one month. Most of the rest of the note has been described by her close friends as cryptic. Leah enjoyed philosophy, writing, and poetry, so leaving a cryptic message behind doesn't necessarily seem out of the ordinary, but it was odd to leave a note behind that you weren't sure the other people would understand. When you look at the note, it wasn't a note where you start at the top of the paper and you go down. It was a sentence here and then a blocked out area with some other information then something jotted below it. It was It was a piece of paper with notes written all over it. Because a note was left, as was the money for the month's worth of expenses, it was assumed she planned to be back in a few weeks. But also on the note was a line about how she wasn't suicidal, and she implied she was going on a journey like Jack Kerouac. And Kerouac was a writer of the Beat Generation, more commonly called a Beatnik. In the late 1950s, he wrote two semi-autobiographical books, called On the Road and its sequel, The Dharma Bums, where the protagonists leave their middle-class life and they go on a journey. Spirituality is one of the core themes, particularly in The Dharma Bums. At the end of the second book, the character based on Kerouac ends up at Desolation Peak, which is in northern Washington state, quite close to where we will find out Leah was last seen. The author and these books were a frequent topic of conversation for Leah. She talked about them with her friends and her family who weren't as familiar with them, and then she talked about them even more in depth with the people she met at the coffee shop who were familiar with them. She romanticized this somewhat fictionalized version of Kerouac's actual journey across the country. She told a friend that she thought it would be great to just take off traveling without much money or material possessions.
1: Now, Kara had power of attorney over Leah's finances when she went to Costa Rica. So because of this, Kara was able to look at her bank account and credit card transactions. And from that, they could track Leah's journey west along the I-40. So she was heading literally across the country. So according to travel distances and bank transactions, it's assumed that Leah on Thursday, March 9, that afternoon after talking to her sister, she went to the bank and withdrew 3000 in cash. She had a bit of money that was left to her from her parents and then she left at around 6pm. According to bank transactions she checks into a hotel near Memphis the following day. She then only uses her card for gas because remember she did have that cash with her and that's on Monday March 13 at around one in the morning in Brooks, Oregon. So at this stage she's already driven almost 300 miles or four and a half thousand kilometres in three days. Now, that's a lot of driving when you're doing it all by yourself. So we know that she made it as far as Oregon, but that's where the electronic trail stops.
0: On March 18th in a remote area about 200 miles or 350 kilometers from Leah's last known whereabouts, a couple were taking an early Saturday morning jog up a road near a pine forest near Mount Baker Highway in Whatcom County, Washington. This is about an hour outside of Seattle and not too far from the border to Canada. A man noticed some clothes in the trees, and then a bit further down the ravine, he saw a car. Concerned that someone could be hurt, he went down a bit further where he sees a passport and some other ID, so he went ahead and called 911. And the car, it was a white Jeep Cherokee with North Carolina license plates. There didn't appear to be anyone there, and the car looked abandoned, which wasn't entirely unusual for the area, it was common for cars to be abandoned and then lived in by homeless people. And really, this is what it looked like at first glance. The windows had been broken, so there were blankets and pillows covering the windows, kind of like a shelter for someone to stay in and be protected from the elements. So it really did look like someone had been living in there for quite a while. The car keys were still in the ignition, and investigators found other personal items like a checkbook, a guitar, music sheets, and bags of clothing. This was all scattered around the area where the car was, but there was no sign of Leah or her kitten.
1: The vehicle looked like it was going 20 to 30 miles an hour, or 30 to 50 kilometers, and it was going uphill. The investigators could tell this due to the damage of the trees going over the embankment. The car looked like it rolled over and over, which is why the windows broke and everything was thrown out everywhere. So you can imagine that whoever was in the car, they should have been seriously injured and possibly even tossed out of the car. But there was no sign of an injured person even being in the car or around the car. There was no blood, no signs of a struggle and no damage to the windscreen or steering wheel, which is what you typically see in these kinds of car accidents because they did do luminal testing on the broken glass because there was no blood visible, and that tested for traces of blood and there wasn't any. So we know if she was in the car, and I'll leave that hanging there for a moment, but if she was in the car, she wasn't seriously injured. Search and Rescue did look around the crash site and around the nearby Canyon Creek River. There were search dogs and aerial searches, but nothing. Again, there was no blood trail, no torn clothing, nothing to indicate she was marking a path back to her car. But the fact that the search dogs didn't pick up on a scent, I don't particularly find that strange at all. I had a look into the weather at this time, and it did rain a lot around the time of Leah's last confirmed sighting. So with the rain, and I don't know how many days passed before they called in the search dogs anyway... But we know from other cases, weather conditions and time, that seriously hampers the search dogs doing their job accurately. So the fact the search dogs didn't pick up anything, I really don't put much stock into that when it comes to theorising what happened to Leah. And the description of the mountain search said, a lot was done by air, mainly because the terrain was quite rugged and difficult to get around, especially after a spate of bad weather. The problem with that is, if she was intentionally hiding, or we have a case of terminal burrowing, which could be the case because of the weather, we are talking much in Washington here, and the nights can get quite cold. I think that an aerial search would only really be useful if a lost hiker was trying to signal to a plane to say, hey, look, I'm down here.
0: Amongst Leah's belongings in the car, investigators found a box full of bits and pieces. I've seen it described as a memory box where you would keep mementos from your travels or little sentimental things like cards and ticket stubs from shows. Inside the box was a movie ticket for the film American Beauty from March 13th in Bellingham. And now Bellingham was about 30 miles or 50 kilometers away from where her car was found. Looking at the timeline from what we know, Leah stopped for gas in Brooks, Oregon at 1 a.m. on the 13th and then travelled the five or six hour drive to Bellingham. Assuming she made even short stops, it would have gotten her there mid-morning.
1: So knowing that Leah enjoyed talking to people and learning from their life experiences, and knowing where Leah had been for at least an afternoon, is figuring out what she was doing that could possibly help work out what happened to her. So Leah's brother and sister, they go to the movie theatre and the shopping centre that was attached to it. At this shopping centre was a little restaurant, the only sit-down restaurant in Bellingham, and it was quite similar to the one Leah would sit at and do her writing back at Durham. And when they go in, the waitresses there do remember seeing her sitting at the bar, and that while she arrived alone and seemed to be alone, there were patrons sitting alongside her and they were having conversations. The next day, one of these patrons, I assume he saw the missing persons poster that Leah's brother and sister put up in the area, but he phones into the police that he was one of the people there talking to her. Now, couldn't find any other information about this person, but by all accounts, he was cleared of any knowledge or involvement in Leah's disappearance.
0: The second man sitting at the bar with Leah was found through credit card transactions from the patrons from that day, and the police were able to contact him. The second man also remembers talking to Leah and having lunch with her. And they were talking about Jack Kerouac and his many travels. But this second man said that when Leah left, she didn't leave alone, as had been reported, but that she had left with another guy she called Barry. And this guy was able to give a very detailed description of Barry, so a sketch was made, and we will link it to our usual places online. But there's an immediate problem with the Barry story. It doesn't match the stories of the first guy or the waitresses who saw Leah there that day. No one else remembers seeing a third man or hearing Leah mention a berry or her leaving with anyone. Everyone else remembers seeing Leah leave alone. When you have multiple witnesses with the same basic story and one witness with a completely different version, you kind of have to wonder. The description was really detailed for a man he had just met in passing at lunchtime. Barry hasn't been found, so this can't be verified. There were no security cameras that we know of documenting Leah leaving to prove one way or the other. Was there even a Barry? And we'll get into that later.
1: Three weeks after going missing, the police seem to only just now be processing her items in the car. Which, look, we usually come down on the side of the police. Because there is a lot of emotional and moving parts involved in a missing persons investigation. And while it may seem like they aren't doing anything, that is usually when they're working the hardest. But I can't reason in my head why it would take them this long to process her stuff. I mean, if she was in trouble or something had happened to her, there was a chance that there were clues there. But I'll leave my rant there. So, what do we know? We know that she left with about two and a half thousand because she got three thousand out and left five hundred with her roommate. One of the items of clothing they found, a pair of pants, the investigators found 2400 in a pocket, which means after she left the restaurant, she really couldn't have spent any money because of what was left and her bank accounts were untouched. And then under a floorboard in Leah's car, they found a ring that was her mother's and one that she would take with her everywhere. It was her most sacred possession that she never took
0: off. Surveillance footage was found from about the time Leah was in the gas station. There's nothing unusual in the footage, at least from what I can see. Leah walks into the shop, she pays for the gas, she leaves, and she's alone. We'll link you to the disappeared episode that shows you the footage, but since this is an audio podcast and not a visual one, I'll have to just explain it to you. While at the counter waiting to pay, she turns and looks at the door at someone or something. She doesn't look alarmed. Uh, she doesn't look stressed or scared and no one at the gas station reported her acting that way. She was acting entirely normal. Some people think she may have been looking out at someone who was with her or waiting for her, but I think it's just as likely she heard a noise or saw something out the corner of her eye and she looked. Someone in nearby Everett, Washington called police, claiming that he and his wife had seen Leah at another gas station there, disoriented, shortly before the car was found. This phone call ended abruptly when the caller got uncomfortable or scared and he never gave his name. From what I can find online, they haven't been able to track that person down. And a lesson in why we don't use Wikipedia as a source, Wikipedia says that the man was a gas station attendant in Everett. That seemed odd to me because surely they could find him if they knew where he worked. And going one step beyond, why was his wife there with him at work? But if you click on the article wiki sites as a source for that, you get a dead link because the newspaper went under. But you, being internet savvy researcher that you are, you use your Google Foo and you find the archived version of the website and you find that specific article. That article says absolutely nothing about the man being a gas station attendant. But this has been repeated on other online articles and postings, and I have to assume it all originates with this Wikipedia error.
1: Also, I think it's odd that the guy just calls and then hangs up the phone. What was he afraid of? The only thing I can think of was that he may have been involved in something illegal himself, and he didn't want to come to the attention of the police, and then having them look more into him, thinking that he may know more. But then again, if you really aren't going to help, then why call in the first place?
0: I'm really curious what was said to him right before he hung up. Did they say something or ask him something that immediately preceded hanging up that made him panic or made him concerned for the situation for himself?
1: That's a good point. So fast forward to 2006, a new team picks up the case And in their re examination, they realised that Leah's car hadn't been entirely processed, that no one had ever examined under the hood. And I'm not going to get started under, you know how I feel about this investigation, because I mean, this could be important. And in a way, it could very well hold the key, especially when we talk more about it in theories. But due to the way the car accident was set up, the police believed from very early on in the investigation that because there was no sign of an injured person at the scene of the accident, it was a real possibility that there was no one actually in the car at the time of the accident. So the fact they didn't even check the mechanics of the car, I find this very strange. Anyway, here we are six years later and they look under the hood. And there you go, it seems the mechanics were tampered with and by someone who knew what they were doing because the cover of the starter relay had been removed, which makes it possible to have the car turned on. And then you push the starter relay and the car moves by itself without someone pushing the accelerator. So this could explain why we have a pretty serious car accident, but no evidence of an injured person. Now, going back to the second guy from the restaurant with the Barry story, he was an experienced mechanic and in the military. So he becomes a person of interest.
0: Also under the hood were a series of fingerprints That, if you could see my face right now, of course, they were not processed earlier. The second man from the restaurant was Canadian and had gone back to live in Canada soon after Leah's disappearance. This is occasionally misreported in some news reports that he ran away to Canada. It's interesting how we can editorialize our reporting by switching the word moved to ran away, But that is where he lived, and he was only in the U.S. temporarily for work. There is nothing really nefarious about that. It took two years for him to be fingerprinted and DNA tested. Again, there are conflicting reports on why this took two years. Some reports say he refused. He said that he complied as soon as he was asked, but it took them two years to ask. Regardless, the DNA and the fingerprints came back not a match. Some male DNA was also found on a personal belonging of Leah's from the car, possibly an item of clothing. Any information gotten from this DNA sample has not been made public other than that it was male. We don't know if it was compared to the second man's DNA. He tried all he could to have a sample destroyed and not stored. Police don't release all the information in an open case, so it's possible there was information gained through this. It's also possible the sample wasn't large enough to test or it was too degraded for a complete profile.
1: Investigators believe that she may have headed towards Mount Baker Highway after her accident and she was possibly picked up by a passing motorists. She may have suffered injuries during the wreck and could have been disorientated, as the witness stated, as a result of her condition. So most of the theory stem off it being her at the second gas station and the phone call was a legitimate sighting. I don't know if I'm entirely sure of that myself, but for the sake of the theories, we'll go with that for a moment. Okay, so on some level, we know she wanted to get away from it all, but she had some kind of epiphany. We also know that she went through a lot of mental stress in the years before her disappearance, and that was enough to make her friends worry about her. But what is the odds that on her note to her roommate, Nicole, which unfortunately you can't find online in completion anymore. Apparently it used to be on the Family Run website, but it didn't come across when I went through the Wayback Machine. So when I refer to the note, I'm only going off what you can see on the Disappeared episode and what I've read online. But in the note, she says a lot of contradictory things. She talks about coming back and covering her bills while she's gone and that she'll see everyone soon. But then she talks about time passing quickly and her faith in the world, and then she gives her laptop to her friend. That all makes it sound quite final, like a goodbye letter. It's all very vague and cryptic because we don't know where she was headed or what she planned to do once she got to her destination. It's possible she didn't even know what she was going to do herself once she got there.
0: Another thing that's odd, she drove a long way in three days. The distance she covered didn't allow for a lot of sleep, And she couldn't have stopped for very long at all. The only proof she spent the night anywhere was in Tennessee. The night she had left, she'd used her credit card. She could have used cash in other locations, but she had quite a bit of her cash still with her. So it's possible she was sleeping in her car. We know she got gas at 1 a.m. on Monday morning. Is it possible she was going through a manic state of some kind? Again, like we talked about with Stephen Kocher, we're looking at an age period where mental illness could manifest itself. Leah was 23 years old, and the average age of onset of schizophrenia in women is 25. The average age of onset of bipolar disorder is 21. Looking at the big picture and her actions before this, Leah had quit school, where she was a successful student and quite near graduation, and she did this without having a plan of what to do next. Her friends had noticed her pulling away from them more and more. She left this cryptic note for her roommate that seemed to have random references that her roommate, her friends, and her family don't understand. She dropped a weekend worth of plans and obligations to get in her car and drive to the West Coast without telling anyone, without it really sounding like she gave it a lot of thought. While Allie and I are not qualified to diagnose someone we've never met, we're Actually, not qualified to diagnose people we've actually met. We're not diagnosing her with these things, but there are things that indicate that there may have been some underlying issues. I would love to see
1: that note in full just to have more of a full picture of what was said.
0: Right, we only see little shots of it in the disappeared episode. To see the whole thing would be really interesting.
1: Now, I wonder if the blankets covering the broken window was to not only keep the rain out, but to keep the kitten in. I wonder if there is a chance that the kitten may have still gotten out and run away at some point after the accident. And then, Leah being a responsible pet owner, she went off to find her. Now, we know it rained a lot around the time after Leah was confirmed last being seen. And Canyon Creek River is quite large at the best of times. If Leah had no survival training, which I don't have any reason to suspect that she did, I mean, while she liked the idea of what Kerouac did, there are no reports she went out hiking or mountaineering before she left. So if she was chasing the cat, she could have easily become disorientated and lost, especially if she did hit her head at the car accident. That would explain why the money and her mother's ring was left behind.
0: Something similar to this theory is that she could have had the car accident, hit her head, and suffered from amnesia either temporarily causing her to then wander off and succumb to the elements or possibly permanently injuring her brain and she's still out there somewhere. We're going to keep coming back to this lack of evidence of injuries in the car, like there not being any blood, because I find it hard to believe that she hit her head hard enough on the steering wheel to cause extremely rare hysterical amnesia where the person forgets their entire identity without also breaking the skin and leaving at least a little blood. It's also believed that this hysterical or dissociative amnesia that causes you to forget your entire identity is actually more likely caused by psychological trauma and not physical. Personally, I do not think she was in that car when it went down the embankment. The problem I have with the thought of her being in the car when the accident happened, while her brother said the crash was one that someone could have walked away from, it was still a bad crash. Her stuff was thrown from the car, found all around. Windows were broken out. Even if she walked away from the accident, I think it's very unlikely she would have walked away without any injury that would have left blood, especially with all those broken windows and all that glass that nothing even cut her.
1: I agree because my kids were involved in a fairly mild comparison car accident a few years back and they were blood and... There's not just a drop either. There was a lot of blood. Just one look at the state of Leah's Jeep tells me that someone would have at least been cut in this crash. At the very least. Okay, so if we're saying that she wasn't injured in the car accident and maybe she wasn't driving the car, did Leah stage the accident herself in an effort to fake her own death to run away and start a new life? That old chestnut. To me, this doesn't make sense. There is no way she would leave her mother's ring behind because that meant so much to her. And even if she did, all that money left behind in the car. What would a person disappearing really had left that amount of money behind when it could have a big say in how they start their new life?
0: I do agree she ran away of her own volition. This was her running away. She got in her car and she drove across the country to Washington State. But I don't think she dumped her car and all her belongings and wandered away into the wilderness. That doesn't ring true to me. She did run away. She left on her own volition. She took her money. She took her mom's ring. She took her car. Why would she then dump all those things?
1: Because, yes, she did run away, but there's no guarantee that she wasn't planning on coming back because part of the note did say this money covers the bills while I'm gone.
0: There is some speculation online about the note and... Perhaps this cryptic writing, the misspelling of Kerouac being code for something, like she was asking for help. The theory goes that she was somehow recruited against her will into delivering a large amount of drugs across the country, possibly the Canadian border, and then she was killed upon arrival. And I'm going to have to suspend disbelief for a moment to even go through this one because it just seems so unlikely to me. Yes, she was headed towards Canada though I don't think that was her destination. And yes, drug dealers kill people. So those are pretty much the two points in favor of this theory. So let's talk about the misspelling of Kerouac. That seems to be the basis of this. She would have been familiar enough with him that you would think she would have spelled his name correctly, so I will give you that. But when you look at the actual note, she spells his name phonetically, and then in parentheses, it says SP question mark, which is a pretty common way of saying... You know you misspelled it, but you aren't sure how to actually spell it. If this was some type of tip-off, then why did she point out that she spelled it incorrectly? The other thing about Kerouac, she mentioned him and then headed toward the place he leaves off in the Dharma bums. If mentioning Kerouac, whose name I have spelled seven different ways in this script alone, but if mentioning Kerouac was a cryptic clue... I think it was a clue for where she was going. If she was trying to send a message of distress, why wouldn't she have picked something off the wall mentioning an author she never talked about before? By mentioning someone that she had spent months talking about, that doesn't ring anybody's alarm bell. Misspelling it just means she's not a great speller. And I self-identify as a poor speller, especially when it comes to names with long strings of vowels. So I'll apologize to all our Irish listeners on that right now. Maybe she was just a bad speller.
1: I also find it unlikely she'd take her cat on a cross-country drug deal. And then the drug dealers would have certainly taken any valuables out of that car after the crash. That's a given. They just killed someone to avoid paying for drugs, yet they failed to take the 2500 in the car. There's not a chance. They would have ransacked that car for sure. She definitely left to emulate Kerouac's life or tried to, I have no doubt about that. Some people have speculated that an unknown individual was driving Leah's vehicle at the time of her accident and that foul play may be involved in her disappearance. The unknown driver theory does seem plausible, but would this person really want to hang around to hang clothes up on the trees or hang up blankets in the windows? Because the longer you hang around the scene of a crime, the more likely someone is going to see you. That would also suggest to me that there would have had to be a second person involved to pick him up for a quick getaway. And then hanging the clothes in the trees was the reason the car was found. That doesn't make sense to me either. You would think the person responsible would try to hide the car for as long as possible. Another option along these lines, though, that Leo may have been driving but could have then have been murdered after the accident. So on this scenario, the accident, let's say Leo was driving. It was raining because Washington. Perhaps the accident was caused because of lack of sleep. And then after the accident, maybe it's dark and wet, and really, she has nowhere to go. So she covers the car windows with blankets to keep the rain out and stay warm. And then the next day, she's hungry, disorientated, and possibly in pain with a slight concussion. All of that can definitely impair your judgment. So she hangs the clothes in the trees to maybe make a marker so she can find her way back. Or perhaps if she's trying to get a passing motorist to stop, she can tell them to bring back help and they know to look for these markers. I just think the fact she left her money behind and the ring, she hadn't intended on getting into a car with anyone permanently. Now after she gets to the road, that's the mystery. My feeling, and I really have no evidence to support this, was that she was probably heading back the way she came because she would have known what she had passed to get to the point she got to. In the other direction, that's all unknown. Whatever happened that caused her not to return to her car, possibly she does flag down the wrong person.
0: This feels odd because I never think it was just a random murder who happened upon a vulnerable young woman. But this time, that is what I think happened. I don't think she was in that car. I don't even know that she was ever up on that mountain. I think the car was staged by whoever did take her. And the way the car was tampered with, it doesn't sound like anyone has said that Leah had that mechanical knowledge to have done that. So it definitely sounds like a setup to me. It's possible she was having a mental health issue and that was making her more vulnerable in this situation.
1: What I believe happened is that Leah took off on a cross-country spiritual journey like Kerouac. She seemed quite naive and trusting, And I guess it's easy at that age to think that you're not putting yourself in danger by traveling across the country alone and sleeping in your car. She probably thought nothing of what a vulnerable position she was putting herself into by telling strangers she was on a journey alone to find herself, which we know she did from the discussion with the two guys at the restaurant. The problem is she then tells the wrong person and they target her because the reality is she is vulnerable. Clearly robbery wasn't the motive, so you have to assume the only other motive would be sexual assault. It clearly didn't happen in the car because there is no evidence of that, so she was most likely abducted, sexually assaulted, and then unfortunately killed. The person who took her likely then staged the accident. It's just a sad case all round. However, I'm not entirely convinced that the area of where the jeep was found is 100% tied to what happened to her. And that the jeep may have been wrecked by someone else and she might have already been abducted or something else could have happened to her prior to that event. So I don't know if that area specifically is where what happened to her actually happened.
0: I wish I was more optimistic about the outcome of this case and what happened to Leah, but I'm not. I think the answer lies somewhere in that town where she ate and went to the movie. I think she ran into the wrong person there. There's a lot of woods in that area, and I think that finding her will be a matter of a hunter coming across remains.
1: Because we see that in cases like the Jameson family and more recently Brian Barton, it just is an accident that someone just happens to stumble across them. Okay, so some thank yous firstly to our patrons on Patreon. Thank you to Meg, Frederick, Melissa B. Janet, and Jennifer S. And then to our five-star reviews. Thank you to Eleanor Ethereal, Little Rary, Pip Gerard, Heather471, ALC Forever24, and a fabulous friend of the show who we were lucky to meet at CrimeCon, Fran Stand. We are on Facebook. We have the page where we post all the episodes and a discussion group, which is a private group where we discuss the episodes, documentaries, podcasts, books, in any case that happens to come up that anyone is interested in. As I said, it's a private group, but just request to join and mention your favorite episode and we'll let you in. We are on Twitter where you can chat to Charlie and that's at InsightfulPod. I'm on Instagram and that's at InsightPod. And we both respond to the emails, insightfulpod at gmail.com. We have a PayPal for a one-off donation and a Patreon for an ongoing monthly donation. We have some great rewards for our patrons on Patreon, like a bonus monthly episode, stickers, magnets, t-shirts, and a thank you card from Charlie. All links are on our website, insightpod.com, where you can also listen to our episodes, read our show notes and access some additional research if you want to read up some more on your own and finally if you can please rate review and subscribe on apple podcasts or your favorite podcast app it allows us to access more listeners and allows us to keep on doing what we do